Again, it's good to see you all this morning. And uh, I just would like to say a word of thanks, and should have said this at the first service also, to everybody who was involved in the fall festival yesterday. It was a blustery, windy day. And um, so a number of our booths ended up being like sailing ships, you know, kind of going across the parking lot. We got things under control, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, the booth that I was involved in was... Uh, David and Goliath, the kids got a chance to slay Goliath. And uh, James Oliveri did a masterful job of creating a nine-foot Goliath. And so um, the, at the end of the festival, uh, Goliath didn't have the end that, uh, that, uh, that he has in the Bible. Um, he, he kept his head, and he's now uh, propped up inside the uh, elephant cage where the, where the air conditioning uh, chiller is. Uh, very morose. So if you want to see uh, Goliath and how he feels behind bars, you can look at him by the air conditioning chiller. I also wanted to ma- add one other note to you, um, to something that uh, Pastor Carr was saying, um, and this came through very recently with respect to the Brunsons. Uh, Andrew and Noreen are missionaries to Turkey. They were both in um, prisoned on October 7th. Um, and Noreen was released from prison, which is great. Um, the other piece of news I'd like to give you is that I'm told that she's now in the United States. So um, we will continue to pray for Andrew that the, the Lord will get him out of prison, whether by the charges against him being dropped or by um, their deporting him. And that's what, uh, that's what the family's asking us uh, to pray for. Now today, I'm going to do something I have never done before. And, uh, and that is to say, I'm going to preach a sermon on preaching. Uh, I've never preached a sermon on preaching before. I've always been uh, hesitant to do it. Maybe, Fred, you feel the same way. A little shy to do it because it can sound a lot like, okay, uh, Kurt's going to tell us how he wants us to listen to Kurt, you know. And, and that's not what this is at all. This, this is actually a sermon, though, about preaching, about sermons. And uh, it's important for us. I think, to, uh, to take Paul's words to heart. Uh, the passage is from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses uh, 19 through uh, 22. You know, this is this part of the end of the book of Thessalonians in which there's just uh, a series of, of short verses, many verses, but short verses, exhortations about living the Christian life in community together. It's just a, a wonderful compilation of, of instruction in a very short period of time. And uh, last time I preached from the passage, I preached about prayer, if you remember. There were several verses that were aimed at prayer. And now the very next set of verses is aimed at prophecy. Prophecy. Well, I'll get to that. Let's read it together. First Thessalonians 5, verses 19 through 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray together, okay? And then we'll go into our message. Our Father in heaven, we do love you and thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us in Christ. And I would ask you to make the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Yes, indeed. The uh, title of the morning sermon is How to Get the Most Out of a Sermon. 
And yet I'm preaching from a passage that talks about, that talks about prophecy. Uh, and how, how does that apply then? And I just want to say that everything Paul writes about prophecy in this passage applies to preaching as well. And it's not a coincidence. There's a relationship between prophecy and preaching that I'd like to, uh, I'd like to explain. I'd like to build with you a little bit today because I think it will, will help us as we, uh, by understanding that relationship, it will help us evaluate and think about the significance of, the real significance of, of preaching. And when we hold it, preaching, sermons, in their biblical significance, um, I think that it enables us, that enables us to get the most we can out of a sermon. You know, I mentioned the first service, they removed the bells. Evidently, they, they, they feared I would do what I nearly did in the first service, which was to pick up a bell. <laughs> I wouldn't dare. But the point is, if I don't know it's a bell, I don't know to ring it. I need to know what it is. And from time to time, it really pays to go back to the fundamentals, the foundational principles about what something is. So we really do know how to relate to it, especially if that thing is very, very common. If you come to church and you worship regularly, you know that sermons are a part and a common part of, uh, of worship. So let me just begin this relationship between prophecy and preaching. Uh, many of you will recall that back in the book of Ephesians, in the fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul wrote that uh, from the spoils of Jesus' redemption, from those he's taken captive out of the world, you know, the flesh and the devil, taken captive to salvation. He's taken some of his prisoners. That's the analogy being used here. These wonderfully glorified prisoners, you know, great to be freed and to be a captive to Christ. He has given from among them to the church. He's given gifts from among his prisoners to the church. He's given his prisoners, given prisoners back to the church, so to speak. And so the text says he gave some as apostles. He gave some as prophets. He gave some as evangelists, right? And he gave some as preachers and teachers. And the reason, he said, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the maturity of God's own Son until we all grow up into the fullness of Jesus himself. That's very important. So, you know, when I think about um, the apostles and their ministry, when I think about um, the prophets or the evangelists or the pastor teachers, uh, we realize that they, they've been given to the church by Christ to build the church up in Christ to become more and more like Jesus, which is just a wonderful thing. But I want to suggest to you from uh, four, Ephesians 4 and other passages, I'd like to make three observations to you about the relationship between prophecy and preaching as it was in the New Testament in the New Testament church. Um, and it'll set the stage as we go forward. I want you to notice uh, one point, which is that prophecy and preaching are, are actually very similar. They're very, very similar. Um, they're both Holy Spirit-empowered declarations of the Word of God. There's no question about that. Um, they both occurred, as I said, to build up the church into the fullness of Christ, there's no question about that. The immediate, fact, uh, immediate effect of prophecy and the immediate effect of preaching is pretty much the same, which is to teach and to guide people um, into the truth. Um, and they are both to be weighed and evaluated. In other words, whether someone preaches or whether someone prophesies, 
uh, you're not to automatically accept what they say. You're to evaluate what they say against the standard of the Old Testament prophets and the scriptures of the New Testament and the teaching of the New Testament apostles. And this is always very important. So there are a number of similarities between prophecy and preaching as we see it in the New Testament. That's my first observation. The second observation is the distinction between them. What is the main distinction between them? And I would put it this way. I think that the main distinction between preaching and prophecy can be put in terms of, of, of preparation versus spontaneity. I mean, it seems very clear in relation to prophecy in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit could suddenly move on people with a gift of prophecy and they would then prophesy or they would then speak in the Lord's name. It would be, thus says the Lord. Um, when you read the book of Acts and when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, what you'll find is that prophesying arose from the midst of gathered believers. Uh, it wasn't pre-planned. It wasn't necessarily you know, prepared. Uh, it was just from the church, from men, from women in the church. And they would, they would stand and they would have some prophecy uh, to, uh, to offer. And while prophecy is a thus says the Lord, it's a speaking in the name of the Lord, um, that doesn't mean that it was always predictive. I think oftentimes when we think of prophets, we think they predict. Well, that's one of the things the prophets did in the Old Testament. Most of what the prophets did and said was not predictive, actually. It was foretelling. It was declaration to a generation. But the point is, it is true in the New Testament. We have an example of Agabus, a prophet, in the book of Acts. And we're told that he foretold the famine in Jerusalem that would come in Acts 11 and in Acts 21, he foretold that uh, Paul would be taken into chains and prison in Jerusalem. That was Acts 21. Um, although I think just about everybody knew that was going to happen to Paul at that time, to be very honest with you. But the prophecy in the New Testament was, uh, was democratic, so to speak. I mean, it, it occurred throughout the congregation, different people, and it was quite spontaneous. But by contrast, by contrast, preaching is different. Um, the Holy Spirit works through a pastor teacher to prepare sermons, to prepare sermons on a regular basis, you know, week in and week out. So it involves preparation. Uh, it's really not spontaneous. Um, one time I was doing, um, I was summoned for jury duty. And I was told that the jury would last three or four, the case would last three or four weeks. And so I'm there in the gallery and they say, does anybody have a reason uh, to, uh, to say that, you know, you're, you know, a necessity for not being part of the jury? And so I approached the bench and I said, you know, your honor, uh, the situation is that I'm the pastor of the church, of a church, and I have responsibilities and, and duties, you know, every Sunday. And, uh, and that includes leading the worship and also preaching at my church. And he looked at me um, and uh, he said, what? You mean you just can't stand up and preach? And I said, I've tried that and they know when I'm doing that. <laughs> you see, the thing about preaching is it takes preparation. It takes preparation. and It really isn't spontaneous. And, and Paul, in speaking to Timothy, his protege, really did, uh, he really did underscore this. Uh, he told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 
13 to 15, he says, until I come, until I visit you, devote yourself. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. You might wonder, well, why is that? This is a whole separate sermon. I won't get into it. But preaching emerged out of the reading of Scripture. That's historically how it emerged. So preaching and reading Scripture are absolutely, uh, they're seamless. They're really to be seamless. So he says, devote yourself to teaching, to exhortation, to reading. He says, don't neglect the gift that you have. Uh, that was given you by prophecy or through prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things. So this is not about spontaneity. This is about preparation. You know, he would say later about elders who teach. He says those elders who uh, 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 labor hard, labor hard at teaching and preaching are, are worth a double honor. That's what preaching and teaching is. It is hard work. It really is hard work. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge of the living and the dead and of his appearing and of his kingdom. I mean, this is the strongest charge anywhere in the New Testament. So what's he saying to Timothy? He follows it with, I charge you, all that, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means when you feel like it and when you don't. That means when people want to hear from you and when they don't. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So again, Paul is really talking about preaching. It's not about something that is spontaneous, that comes directly from the Holy Spirit in terms of moving very suddenly. But it's a work of the Holy Spirit in the preacher to bring and to teach the Word of God. To a congregation. It's quite different. Now here's the third observation. And this is the one I most want you to think about. Having looked at the similarities. And having looked at the difference. Between preaching and prophecy. Here's the third observation that I want to make. And that might surprise you. But it is this. That whereas I think many Christians think. It's a far far better thing. If there was prophesying being done in the church. Um, uh, 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 rather than preaching. I mean, it's, you know, it's more spiritual. It's uh, an immediate revelation from God and so forth. My third observation is the Holy Spirit gives preeminence to preaching over prophecy. Preeminence. It's clear in the New Testament from the sheer number of passages where preaching is the activity that's being recounted and described, not prophecy, or where the content of a sermon is being, dis- is being summarized and being preserved. And when you look at church history, by the end of the second century and into the early third century, the fact is that prophecy in the church had all but disappeared. And the growth of the church depended on preaching. Now, I don't think that's because the church was getting corrupt or becoming unspiritual. I mean, we have to believe that the Holy Spirit really is guiding and leading the church into its future. As the body of Scripture itself was expanded. In other words, as you take the Old Testament and you add to the Old Testament Scriptures, what we call the 27 books of the New Testament, they were being copied, they were being circulated, they were available, they were being read. Well, it became possible then to actually preach those Gospels and the words of Jesus and those words of the Apostles quite directly. And so prophecy receded and preaching grew. 
And this was not to the church's spiritual loss. It was to the church's spiritual advantage. Preaching encompasses the entirety of God's word. With preaching, there is a standard that is raised for the faithful, accountable handling of the revelation that we have received. You can read it for yourself and compare. The leaders of the church can read it for themselves and compare. And there's a relationship between the preacher and the people who are being preached to. So the incidents of charlatanism, you know, people coming into town with prophecies and all that, and all the fakery that can go with that, and often has, it was eliminated, at least reduced. When you saw this shift occurring, and I really think it was a shift by God, God's Holy Spirit, in the life of the church. So, I just want, when you think about preaching, I'd like to invite you and encourage you to think about it as more significant than prophecy of, because it's a greater value and benefit to us than prophecy. And it's no less a work of the Holy Spirit. And it's something that God highly regards. Now, again, I say I've never preached a sermon on preaching before. I feel very self-conscious about it because I'm not saying that listen to Kurt's sermons. Kurt's sermons are great. You hear? I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm a journeyman preacher. Uh, when Paul was challenged, he said, I'm just a vessel of clay. Well, Paul's a vessel of clay, you know, just a, you know, a pot uh, of clay. Yeah, I'm, I'm a cracked pot of clay. It, it, it's, not about, it's not about the preacher at all. It's about preaching. It's about the sermon. And that's why I'm addressing it with you this morning. I hope you don't think that this is a, uh, that this is a flight of ego. And so what Paul writes about prophecy surely applies to preaching. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise it. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And I just put it this way. (laughs) Get the most you can out of a sermon rather than dismissing it. Now, when you do that, what do you end up with? When you approach and look at preaching in that way, what do you end up with? And this is sort of the second point of the sermon. It's greater than prophecy. But when you approach it this way to get the most you can out of it, what do you end up with? This is what you end up with. You end up with worship. You end up with worship. You know, worship service is not to be bifurcated or divided between the worship part and now we sit and we're taught. No, it's all about, it's all about worship. And God designed preaching to be worship. And unlike prophecy, the beautiful thing about preaching is that it is a collaboration between the preacher and his congregation. It's been described, you know, like the relationship between a pitcher and a catcher. And honestly, it truly, it truly is. Preaching is not unidirectional. It is interactive between the preacher and the congregation. In preaching, there's something mutual about it. There's something connected. There's a connection here. It is reciprocal. Each person plays a critical role in preaching. Each person then also takes personal responsibility for their part in preaching. And I am saying this morning, folks, it's as much on you as it is on me. And it honestly is. It really is. 
It is a great collaboration in the Holy Spirit. It is a, it is a great honor. And there's no question about the fact that over years, when you have a pastor preaching a church, there's a, and there's a happy, loving relationship, etc. But there is a melding of the congregation with a preacher, and the preaching then increases. The preaching, gets, the preaching does get better. It becomes more edifying. It becomes more significant. And it isn't because of the preacher. It's because of this relationship between the preacher and his congregation. And it's all the work of God. It is all the work of the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to preaching, we have to talk about the work that I do, but also the work that you do, and we do it together for God's glory. And that work that you do and I do is the single fruit of our communion with the Holy Spirit and the work that He's doing, the one work He's doing throughout the church. We need to think of preaching in these terms or we'll miss the point. Preaching has always been about worship. It's been about collaboration. That is really what it is. So I hear sometimes people talk about preaching like or listening, you know, and I didn't entitle this how to listen to a sermon, did I? I entitled it how to get the most out of a sermon. Because what people expect is this is how you listen to a sermon, right? You know, you attend, you look at the preacher, you know, you, you hear what they say. If, if, if you're, you know, you, you write things down, you write notes and that sort of thing, you know, you put, we well, do all that. But I want to say that preaching is more than active listening. It is aggressive listening. Preaching for you is aggressive listening. And what I'll explain what I mean by that. Set aside for a moment the content of preaching, which is obviously very important. I'm asking you to set it aside. And the question is, then, setting that aside, why do I preach to you? And the answer is, I preach to you to help you and enable you to preach to yourselves. That's why I preach to you. It's not the exhortation of the pastor that's going to move you. It's the exhortation you give yourself that is going to move you. So I try to give you as much fuel as I possibly can in order to do that. But ultimately, it's not my preaching that's the center at all of the worship service. It is the preaching that you are doing to yourselves. It's not the central exhortation of the pastor. It's the most important. <laughs> My preaching and what comes with that is to the end that I would be supporting what is most important. And what is most important is what you are doing with a sermon. Whether you're preaching to yourself, exhorting yourself. Someone came up to me after the first service and they said, well, basically, it was, uh, it was great, it was Rand Hunsinger. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to criticize him because I named him. But he said to me after the service, you know, sometimes what happens is when I hear a sermon or point in, a, in a, one of your sermons, then I kind of go off on my own path and I think about that. And then I come back into the sermon. And he's, I thought like he was kind of asking me, is that okay? Or what did I think about that? Well, they didn't say that explicitly. And I said, yes, that's, I do the same thing when I hear a sermon. I listen. And I'm hearing and I'm aggressive, and I'm grappling. And suddenly I hear something, and maybe I, the preacher goes on to something else a bit, but I'm stuck on that, and i got to look up a scripture. i got to think about that. i got to write that down. And sometimes I draw pictures, very pictographic. Now, and then I come back into the sermon. Sure, I mean, I think that's a good way to be an aggressive listener. 
I'm not asking you to be glued on every word that the sermon or that the preacher um, says. So God doesn't call you to listen respectfully, you know, sit there respectfully. I'm glad you are. But he's not asking you to be respectful. He's not asking you to be polite. He's asking you to listen aggressively because his worship and our maturity together really do depend on it. I use the analogy um, because it's often used about preaching that it's like the pitcher and catcher, right, in a baseball game. And you know how the catcher's always sending signals to the pitcher? You're always sending signals to me. You know, I know when you're... (laughs) I know when you're sleepy. I know when you're awake. I know when you've been naughty or good, so be good for goodness sake. I see all this. But in the same way, it doesn't take more than five minutes of, uh, especially to you who know me, you know, say, this is where the pastor's coming from this morning. You know, the pastor's kind of in this frame of mind or that frame of mind. You know it. I'm a a pot of clay, and, and you see all that. But I think there's a better analogy than the pitcher and the catcher. I think the analogy is, I think the analogy is, is the relay race. I think it's a much better analogy. Because what's happening in preaching is you're passing the baton to someone. A runner is passing the baton to other people who are also runners. And it's their baton just as much as it is my baton. And it's important for us to pass that baton to each other really well. It's important that we do that. And when that happens, that really is worship. That is the worship of the Most High God. That is a beautiful thing that's happening in the way the Word of God is working its way and working its way out from uh, the pulpit. Okay, so I know we've covered a lot in a short period of time, so it's time to take a little break. It's time to take a little breath. I don't know if you've seen this cartoon or not, but this cartoon features two guys. One's a member of the church, and the other is not a member of the church. And they're standing in front of the new church building. And a guy who's standing in front of the new church building is pointing at the building, and he's telling, the, telling his friend, he says, isn't this a beautiful building? Isn't this a beautiful building? And his friend says, yeah, but, like, you know, how large is the sanctuary? And, and the other guy says, well, you know, it sleeps 500. I want you to think about preaching this way. You know, it is not prophecy. It is not, or should not be, any claim for it. It is not a new word from God. So what is it? Preaching is a now word from God. It's a word from God spoken today that he wants us to hear today. Now, how do you know he wants us to hear it today? Because the preacher preached it. Is it because the preacher got a revelation? No, not because the preacher got a revelation, a light saying preach. No, but the fact that it happens in the way it does under the hand of a sovereign rule of an almighty God says this is what God wants us to hear. It's not a new word. It's a now word. But it does raise the issue that I've hinted at a couple times. And that issue is, What about the preacher and all of his foibles and all of his flaws and all of his irritating idiosyncrasy? And, of course, I speak theoretically. This is what the great preacher George Whitfield said, a wonderful, wonderful evangelist. 
He said, do not entertain even the least prejudice against the minister. That's the reason Jesus Christ himself could not do many great works, nor preach to any great effect among those of his own country. For they were offended at him. Now, I agree with that, but let's level the playing field. It works both ways. The same thing applies to preachers. Preachers are not to entertain even the least prejudice against their congregations either. Because it will affect his preaching. And it will ruin him for God among his people. And it may ruin his people for God. So it doesn't matter whether you're talking about preachers or whether you're talking about the congregation and the members. And they're talking about the mutual regard. You know, disrespect, disapproval, dis, discouragement um, quenches. You know, it really throws cold water on that warm work that the Holy Spirit is doing. Uh, and preaching then is no longer worship. And I think that's exactly what Paul is talking about when he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. I mean, literally, can I quench God? No, I can't quench God. But we can quench what it is the Holy Spirit's doing. We can throw cold water on it, which is literally what quench means. It means to extinguish. We can throw cold water. We can rain on the parade of what the Holy Spirit's doing. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. And when we allow um, the human interpersonal or horizontal dimension of our relationship together to interfere with this vertical thing that's happening with God, the Holy Spirit, working with and through the Word, well, that's not a good thing. And we can end up very easily quenching the Holy Spirit. He also, Paul goes on, he says, don't despise preaching or prophecy. Don't despise it. And it's interesting here because he does not use the word for hate, the word that's translated despise. If you ask me what despise means, I would say, well, I think it means to, to hate. But that's not what the passage, that's not what the verb means. The verb literally means to count something as nothing, to count it as nothing. Um, you know how sometimes we're told, um, you know, don't make something out of nothing, right? Well, this verb means the opposite. This is taking something and making nothing out of it. It's making nothing out of something. It's treating something as if it were nothing. This is a term that was used of the soldiers. When the, Luke tells us the soldiers despised Jesus when they mocked him, it's the same word. They made him who is something, nothing. This is the word that was used in the prophecy of Jesus, that he would be the stone that the builders rejected. It's the same term. They took this something and they made him nothing. This is the term that's used in, uh, in, uh, in the book of Second uh, Corinthians when Paul notes that uh, his speech was deemed contemptible. In other words, his preaching was despised. The same word as contemptible is despised. They say, well, I heard it. You know, he doesn't do a very good job. That Apollos, now, that guy can preach. That guy can preach. But this Paul, I'm not so sure. Maybe it's his style. You know, maybe it's the way he walks around. Maybe it's the way he breathes. Maybe, maybe he has a nervous tick in his, I don't know. But the point is, that's what this word despise means. It means to take something and treat it as if it's nothing. And again, I just underscore if Paul would say in response to this as he's writing that church where all this turmoil is concerned, if he would say, look, you're missing the whole point. I am a jar of clay. 
And I preach nothing but Christ in a simplicity. To show the surpassing power of the result is of God and not of men. Well, if Paul could say that, I mean, how much more true is it of a local preacher? Preaching, nonetheless, and I'm going to explore, uh, I'm going to emphasize this, and I say to you, it's a non-exaggeration. I'm going to say, given is that the vast majority of preaching is done by, Lord willing, you know, sincere, faithful, but mundane men of God. I'm sure that's true. But even though that is true, even though that is true, and I do not exaggerate, the preaching of Scripture is the single greatest instrument God uses to preserve, reform, and mature His church. Now, when I wrote that down, and I'm convinced that it's true, and I'll state that in a moment, but when I wrote that down, you know, my immediate question in my mind was, well, wait a minute, Kurt. <laughs> You're forgetting about something. You're forgetting about the Bible. The truth is that God uses preaching to produce devotion to the Bible. And the evidence of this is that wherever the preaching of Scripture, the preaching of the Bible, has fallen into disfavor, commitment to God's Word has eroded and error has inevitably followed. Where churches as a whole set aside or replace the preaching of Scripture with nothing else or with something else, suddenly preaching morphs into something other than the preaching and the teaching of the Bible. The churches themselves fall away. Or when individual Christians, I'm talking about us, neglect preaching, come to despise preaching, begin to dismiss it. You know, it's very easy to miss church, even though we're to be worshiping one day in seven. It's very easy to write it off. It's very easy to turn out the preacher. It's very easy to do it. But when individual Christians neglect preaching, they do stagnate and they do decline spiritually. And many of them fall away. I mean, this is simply, I think this is simply a fact. And I believe that this is why Paul, this is why Paul writes as he says, do not despise it because it is by preaching that we hold fast to what is good. And without it, we honestly lose our grip. We lose our grasp. Now, to appreciate what this means, I think it's important to say we have to have a long haul view of preaching. It isn't that, you know, every single week, you know, I'm going to be lifted out of the pit of unbelief and doubt and, and brought onto a high plane and pillar and place spiritually. But it is the steady diet of preaching and aggressive listening. It's the steady experience of this collaboration over years that keeps us and preserves us and builds us up and matures us. And that's why it's so important. So preaching really is greater than prophecy because it's more valuable. It is of greater benefit to the church. I think the Holy Spirit has made that, made that clear. It's a great collaboration between us. So it's in all of us, for all of us, to, to keep it that way. That preaching, as much as singing or prayer, you know, you can, we can, that it would be a worship. That all we're doing in everything is worshiping God. And so on Saturday night before bed, we can all pray together. Lord, tomorrow you will speak to our church. You know, we're not beggars coming to ask God 
for a word. We're coming to receive from him what he really has for us. Lord, tomorrow we're going to hear from you. You will speak to our church. So I ask on my part, for my part, Lord, speak through me or speak to me. I do not want to miss out. I am not a spectator. Spectators, sidelines are reserved for spectators. Sidelines are reserved for those whose hearts are not right. When I walk into a into a into a sanctuary you know it is not an athletic field there are no bleachers here there are pews here we are all part of this so i'm a worshiper lord so lord i offer myself as kindling to you and that's a prayer that we can pray on saturday night we can prepare our hearts and we can come in and then after the sermon and after worship on sunday as you're going home as you're leaving church let's not be asking how did the preacher do? You know, when Diane and I go home and we have lunch, you know, she doesn't ask me, how did the congregation do? She doesn't ask me that question. It's never discussed. Let's not be talking about how the preacher did. Or let's not be dealing with this question. Well, what did you think of the sermon? And the reason isn't because those are bad questions. They're not bad questions. The reason is, that those are the easy questions. Those are the superficial questions. The real questions are, when we leave, how did I do with a sermon today? And why did God have me hear this message today? What is it that He is saying to me? And that really... I think is part and parcel of our preaching as worship. It doesn't begin when the preacher starts. It doesn't end when the preacher stops. It begins before we enter. It continues after we leave. And it is a thing that deeply glorifies God and that preserves his people and his church. So it's a great privilege for me and a great honor for me to preach the word to you. And I trust that this dear collaboration has grown over so many years will continue to strengthen for the glory of God in our own vital walk, our own vital walk with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I do love you and thank you for your word and all that you teach us in it. And Lord, just help us remain deeply founded on your word and in our faith in Christ as it's been revealed to us and taught to us by Jesus, by the prophets, by the apostles. And, uh, Lord, we're so thankful you call us to be light to the world, Christ's own light. And I just pray in Jesus' name, amen.